0: hey rob and hey everyone welcome back to subspace radio hello kevin and
1: welcome everybody to this third episode in the exciting new series of white middle-aged men talking about a
0: nerdy thing yeah okay great that's how we'll be known forevermore (laughs) Those two white nerdy guys who do a Star Trek podcast. They'll be able to find us online like that. If this is your first episode, there's not that many to catch up on. You could go back and hear everything. In fact, yeah, pause now and have a two-hour break and listen back to what you've
1: missed and come back to us. And and you're back. Welcome. How was it? Uh, I'm, yeah,
0: I know, right? I know. We've we missed you. You did a slingshot around the sun, came back, and now here you are. We are here today to talk about the season one finale of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy. Damn right, yeah. And it, I can't believe the season's already over. Ten episodes, not enough. For sure. Give me another season right now.
1: So the Enterprise is summoned to one of the bases on the line of the neutral zone between Federation and Romulan space. Pike is perplexed when he meets the young son of the man who runs the station and the name sounds familiar. It is the name of one of the people in his future that does not survive the accident that severely damages. That's an understatement, isn't it, Kevin? Our (laughs) dear Pike. So that sends him on a spiral. Does he get in touch with this young man and try and change his destiny? And at that moment, you guessed it, yep. A future version of Pike shows up and goes, oh, you're going to get into some trouble. And then we have an awesome experience where Pike cuts ahead about seven years and a moment from the original series, the iconic episode that has inspired so many future incarnations of Star Trek is played out in this new form. Yes, Balance, balance of, of terror. terror is played out. And we what would happen if Balance of Terror was played out through Pike's captaincy? And uh, Pike has to make some rough decisions about what he is going to do. It felt like the movie to end the season to me. Now I received a message from Young Kevin here before watching the episode because he is aware that my original series knowledge is not as up to standard as it should be. So he did send me the message saying it's probably best to watch Balance of
0: Terror before you watch this. And I went, ooh, yeah, ooh. I sent that to a few people this week. If you haven't seen it or haven't seen it lately, it's worth a watch.
1: Yes. So I went in, of course, with my with my self assured, entitled <laughs> arrogance that only comes at someone my age and my skin color and my sex identification. And about five minutes in, I went, you know what? I should have listened to the expert. (laughs) I paused the episode, went and watched Balance of Terror, and then came back
0: to the rest of Quality of Mercy. That was a good morning. Yeah. I got real lucky. When we were talking last week about character deaths, the first one I could remember, like the first time I remember being hit by someone dying in Star Trek, mm-hmm. was young Tomlinson, the Phaser crew member in Balance of Terror. And I went back and rewatched that episode to see it was significant to me. How significant was it to the show at the time? And I guess for a, for an episodic 60s episode, it was a pretty significant death. That was the final beat of the episode is Kirk consoling... His, his now, uh, I was going to say widowed wife-to-be, but they didn't even manage they didn't to even get, get married. To, yeah, and they
1: did take the time in the episode to go back to the two of them and reconnect. Yeah. So you see their dynamic as a relationship. So it's more than just mm. a, yeah, a red shirt
0: filler. There was more to it. But I had watched the episode for that reason. So that when I saw the trailer for this week's episode and I saw the Romulan weapons flying through space, those plasma torpedoes, that have a limited range, famously. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I know what that is. I, are they bringing Romulans in? Because that's going to be problematic to the canon. But they were all over it, uh, in fact. As soon as Pike was saying the speech in the chapel, I paused it and I went, huh, they're reusing the speech in the chapel. I guess every wedding on a starship uses the same speech. And then I unpaused it, and five seconds later I paused it again and I went, hang on, this is Balance of Terror. <laughs> And you were, it's one
1: of those episodes where they're not only revisiting a classic episode, they are incorporating a modern version of it. And especially in this particular episode, like copying specific shots, specific lines of dialogue and action, but
0: from this newer skewed point of view with Pike in charge, as opposed to James T Kirk. So we're going to focus in the second half on other episodes of Star Trek, where somehow through some miracle we revisit a previous adventure of star trek i'll leave you in suspense as to what exact episodes we're going to talk about but before we go there is there anything else about this episode that is a highlight a low light something that you want to talk about
1: well yeah i am interested in uh in getting your opinion because i yeah i got
0: one or two yeah two opinions about this episode.
1: yeah and i think it has a lot to do with those of us who uh Quite familiar with the classic Mm. series and know it back and forth, and those like myself who have a a broad view of it. So I, I feel, I feel like I'm being subtly called a snob here. (laughs) Oh no, not at (laughs) all. I (laughs) could never. This is one of the moments where two nerds get together. This is where I bow down to your knowledge and absorb it. Uh, So I'm more than happy to play the little fiddle.
0: My my high level summary of my reaction to this episode is: I love the concept on paper. Nothing could make me more excited than Revisiting with a Twist, one of the most classic episodes of Star Trek. As we'll talk about in a minute, they've done that successfully before. And if there is one episode worth revisiting and honoring, this is one of them, for Mm. sure. Balance of Terror, many people's favorite episode of the original series, and I wouldn't try to talk them out of it.
1: And as someone Um, who watched it for the first time, I just went, this is, this is... Timeless. It is such a well-written, well-acted, well-directed episode.
0: Tense, tight, submarine warfare. Submarine warfare drama, yeah. With character beats that are stronger than you usually see in that that Mm. early series. It is so good. This episode, like I was saying, on paper, I am totally behind it. I feel like something was let down in the execution. Now... I might've just been hungry when I was watching it. (laughs) Sometimes things just don't strike you quite right. But as I was watching this, I was going, uh, I see what they're doing and it's not quite landing. It's feeling a little awkward. Yes, they're replaying the lines in clever ways that I am totally behind. But the line reading is slightly different. The words feel wrong in that actor's mouth for some reason. What They're be- repeating a line rather than saying something from the heart. Yeah. And I just kept having that feeling of being taken out of the episode rather than being pulled in. Sure.
1: Yeah. One thing that stood out for me was the character, the representation of the hostile Federation member angry towards the Romulans. So in the original yes, episode... The helmsman. Yeah, in the original episode, it was Styles, and he has
0: that great moment, and is beautifully played by both of them. Never We're... met a good Styles. There's never been a good Styles <laughs> in Star Trek. <laughs> Styles is also the captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek Three when they steal the Enterprise That's from the right. Starbase. That's He's the one with the riding crop, riding crop, and the moustache. Then he went back yeah. in time and became Doogie House's father. That's right.
1: <laughs> never met a good Styles. <laughs> But he mentioned that his ancestors fought in the original Romulan War 100 years ago. And Kirk says that great line their war, not yours. It's a yeah. great moment. And it immediately yeah. sets up where this prejudice comes from. Whereas yeah. throughout the entire episode, Ortega is playing that role, but uh-huh. there isn't any justification of why it's there. Yeah, where did that come from? Personally, yeah. Said they killed all these Federation members and stuff, but there was no personal connection as it was for Styles. So yeah. That,
0: the idea that just because she's been portrayed as a bit of a hothead is yeah. like emotionally front foot, does that translate to like subtle racism? Yeah, it uh, was a bit of a it was a bit of a
1: step and they didn't really yeah, they, didn't they didn't really didn't make those connections. It. Yeah. I appreciated Those moments where they recreated the briefing room with the uh, surprise, surprise, the arrival at last, which we all knew was coming because they did spoil it, I think, even before the series started. Yeah, they said it
0: was coming in season two, but they gave it to us one episode earlier. And they they gave us uh, Captain Kirk, played by Paul Wesley and played very well. That's another one where we're going to differ. (laughs) And I'll say I may warm up to him. Yep. But I really wanted to like him. Like, I was rooting for him. I was cheering him on. But Mm. every moment he was on screen, I was uncomfortable that this did not feel like someone who would grow into the Captain Kirk that we knew. Or indeed, at the point in the timeline where this is meant to be, he is the same. Like, he's meant to be the same age as the Captain Kirk we meet in Balance of Terror. That's right. A season one episode. But still, having watched that, Captain Kirk looks more relaxed, more fun. More of the ladies' man he's reputed to be, whereas Paul Wesley, like, I'll give him this. We've at least once heard Kirk described as a walking stack of books <laughs> in his early Academy days. Yeah. Like, the, he was the nerd at the Academy, supposedly. Yeah, Chris Pine's portrayal aside. Uh, Oh, good. Yes. Can we please put it aside? (laughs) I actually like, like my first reaction to Chris Pine was more positive than Paul Wesley. And Paul Wesley, I've never seen him before. I know he plays in some vampire show. He is in the Vampire Diaries. It felt wooden and, and unlikable. And if James T. Kirk should be anything, it should be charismatic. That's true. That's true. And I just didn't get charisma from him.
1: Sure. Yeah, I didn't see him as that wooden. I liked his. I liked his tone. It clearly Mm -hmm. wasn't a. Yeah, there's sort of like this middle ground between a bit of Shatner and a bit of Pine,
0: whereas
1: I think, like I was saying, in the briefing room they showed that whole connection that spock and kirk will have so yeah. those moments where they agree about the aggressive behavior and that sort of like puts christopher pike going oh hang on yeah. that's not what and so that was quite cool also i loved finally sam and james jimmy meeting yep. and hugging yeah. and going oh yes there you go doesn't look uh-huh. exactly like him but you know <laughs> and in that moment where sam gets to talk about his brother and all that type of stuff and yeah and, and the fact that pike is worried that James C. Kirk might be the threat. It's really yeah. yeah. I like that kind of play on things.
0: Sam Kirk feels still like a torpedo in the tube for me. Like the his reason for being a character on the show, I haven't seen it yet. He's been the he's been the emotional guy in the horror episode last week who's freaking out that they're all gonna die. There is a bit of he is the loose cannon on the ship. There's a bit of that that makes him an interesting character. And there was but, a bit of
1: foreshadowing, like the way that he yeah. was attacking. Spock is very much yeah. how McCoy attacks Spock of going, you yeah. green-blooded Vulcan. Don't you have yeah. any
0: emotion? You're just a- Yeah. In that, he is a useful character. Why is it Jim's Kirk's brother? I struggle to think it is only so that he could say, oh, my brother likes to break the rules to Pike in yeah. this episode. I suspect there is a story to be told of why the creators, and they may not have figured it out themselves. I think they've gifted themselves that. Uh, ability to tell an interesting story with Sam Kirk that we haven't seen yet yeah and like
1: we were talking about previously you know I don't think we've heard the full story obviously Mm. of all the characters especially Ortega's being denied finding out more about her character and Sam as well but after our talk last week was there another little cameo that you noticed oh yes a
0: certain scottish engineer <laughs> only voiceover not only seen. voiceover yes i believe that is one of the shots that is mirrored from the original episode mm-hmm. spock is in the Jeffries tube and just scotty's arm appears to hand him a tool in the exact same way that's right yeah so it was cheeky but not that cheeky it was true <laughs> to the original i loved it i'm in no rush to see scotty i like yeah. You that, that little taste would do me for three seasons, yeah. honestly. But I'm going, so was that Scotty from was he on Um, Yeah, He's on the Enterprise at the time of Balance of Terror. Right. So he is on the Enterprise because I was thinking had he come over from Kirk's ship or... No, no. I assume he's a crew member on the Enterprise at that point. He is. Hemmer does eventually get replaced by Scotty. Eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the one
1: thing that I was trying to figure out timeline-wise and Uh, and doing my homework of watching previous episodes that we'll talk about, I did realize they've got so much time to play with. They've got a lot. We don't know how much time has passed from the cage to here yeah but from a certain episode they talk about the cage was 13 years mm. ago from the original season's first season so mm. i'm there going oh pike's swimming in gravy for yeah, at least another, time.
0: like seven or eight years yeah i think he said he's he feels he thinks he has about a decade something like that yeah other highlights from this episode. I wanted to talk about this maroon uniform that uh, Future Pike appears in, because I know from our chats offline that is your favorite uniform. It is, and it was a little bit judged up. Do you feel they did it justice? Look, I did. I kind, I kind of also like. Um, Because it juiced up like the arms
1: had a different type
0: of texture to it. Like They've been and... doing that again and again. It seems like that is their stamp. This show is putting that stamp on all of the uniforms. Even the dress uniform that Uhura had, had the same, I want to say, rubberized texture down the arms and shoulders. Yes, it was definitely yeah. raised
1: in, air yeah. to, I don't want to say the word rimmed because that'll give,
0: <laughs> but it was definitely for our visual pleasure.
1: Yes, really... that's... Um, It was great to see Anton in that outfit. He wore it very well. It's a great fitting uniform. And it wasn't as much of a a deviation from what we've seen before. I mean, obviously from the 60s to now, they've come back a bit. And the one thing I have noticed as well, because the costumes they had,
0: uniforms, sorry, they had for Discovery was completely changed for this. Yeah, I do miss those uh, TOS Discovery uniforms look real sharp to me. And there's elements of that that you see in the cage when i think of the maroon uniform which in fan circles i have learned this week is referred to as the monster maroon that's what it's called colloquially i haven't been able to figure out why but that's what it's called anyway the overriding impression i get is of a starched jacket like it it looks stiff in a formal uniform sense And that double breast that goes right across almost all the way to your shoulder and then down. And so you can undo the toggle and rip it open if you're feeling emotional. Yes. Uh, like that is the feature of this uniform for me. And it's the biggest thing that let me down in this remake is they moved. If my eyes aren't tricking me, they moved that shoulder, like that, that double breast that goes almost to the shoulder. They took it down and it's, it looks like it's gone limp. So they don't, it's almost doing a line diagonally down their chest. Almost the crisscross uniform that we saw earlier in the season. Yes. The wraparound yeah, uniform. Yeah, the wraparound that captain one, yeah. Pike, yeah, it almost looks like that. And it takes all the formality out of it for me. And the nail in the coffin for me is that the white strip that comes down to, for the toggle, it's, it looks like it's flopping all over the place because mm-hmm. it needs to go way further down. So that really bothered me. It is the, the darkest It's time the line. alternate future. It's never coming back. It's okay. They and, can redo it yeah. if they want and to. And because
1: they're just so cordial up with this punishing war with the romulans Um, i did
0: read someone suggested that the uniform designers with taste got killed in the war i think they did yes and (laughs) let's have a moment's (laughs) silence for those
1: superior designers yeah
0: okay okay uh what did you think of the stuff on board the romulan ship because for me the most memorable thing of that Mm. original episode is the captain and his old friend. And then the old friend dies when the piece of styrofoam falls on him. <laughs> and they and act then, and, very well
1: at trying to give it some weight. Even though the, f- five yeah. seconds earlier you've gone, that has
0: clearly bounced off that old actor. And, and he sacrifices his friend by loading him into the torpedo tube and throwing him out into space yep. as a decoy. Like, no, none of that is present here. The captain on the Romulan ship is all alone.
1: Yes. I mean, maybe it's also because the unfair expectation once you have an actor of
0: Mark Leonard's stature and especially his stature within the Star Trek universe. Mark Leonard, the actor who played the Romulan captain in the original episode, also played Sarek, Spock's father, and at least one Klingon over the years. Yeah, there is that that lofty, He's amazing.
1: Yeah. Incredible
0: performance. So anyone who has to fill that
1: role, have it. Oh, yeah.
0: I felt bad for the actor. The close-up on the face where he was delivering that iconic line in another reality, I could have called you friend, Yeah, and I just went, you're no Mark Leonard. No, and I didn't feel it either. I did not no. feel it either. I went, ah, I see what you're trying to do, but- And again and again, that's what I left this episode going is they set themselves up for failure by mirroring one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. And they brought way more money to the table, Mm -hmm. but the gravitas just wasn't there. It's interesting. You know, we've been
1: so behind it and we're both still very much behind this series and just how consistently strong and solid this show has been. And Mm. even before it went to air, they'd already had season two pretty much all wrapped up so they already knew in some way shape or form what they had in the can so you Mm. can see them shooting big and they had that confidence or dare i say arrogance to go you know what no we're gonna do it we're gonna take on balance of terror and we're gonna do our copy version of it but it seems once they get to it going oh we need to get an actor who can match up to it, I will, and no discredit to the actor who did fill the role of the leader of that ship, but like you said, he just, he wasn't able to shine like Leonard was, and in the original, that's what made it so beautiful is his right-hand man was supportive and going, I've been with you on all these adventures, and they talk about the hierarchy within the Romulan yeah. System. The two of them yeah. talk together about that. Really clever little detailed stuff for the first appearance of the Romulans is incredible.
0: Yeah, overall, I'm a bit disappointed. But you know what? I'm still with them. And Good. I congratulate them on the attempt.
1: So we've explored... The most recent episode of Strange New Worlds, and that got us inspired to go through a bit of a a wormhole to find some similar type episodes. And we're mixing things up a bit this week. We've agreed on three episodes that sort of like revisit a classic
0: story and do a new version of it. So we've agreed on three, and let's uh, talk through those, shall we? I almost missed this first one, but it came to me in a flashback, if you will. The Menagerie. (laughs) which yes. is the Star Trek episode partway through season one. It's about halfway through season one where, and I'm going to steal something from podcaster Jason Snell here. So hat t- tip of the hat here. This is the episode of Star Trek where the crew of the Enterprise sits down and watches an episode of Star Trek together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is the ultimate in, and it's, I think it's the first
0: instance of uh, meta in. Yes. <laughs> So famously, the original pilot of Star Trek The Cage was never aired, and they had it just sitting there on the shelf. And so as they were working their way through season one, they thought, you know what, we can use that. And in this episode, we get to see the story of Christopher Pike, who gets broken out of Starfleet jail by Spock so that Spock can take him back to Talos 4, the band. Restricted planet where the telosians can make your dreams come true. Mm. And, and if you do visit there, threatened of death. Yeah. And so Christopher Pike gets his happily ever after, and Spock gets a court martial wherein <laughs> transmissions from the planet replay the events of the cage for the assembled court so that they can decide whether Spock's actions were justified
1: and in classic star trek fan fashion of star trek characters watching a star trek episode they complain about the quality of the picture they (laughs) call about they're going oh is this good sounds or the effects are pretty you know outdated and oh it's just
0: the reflective nature of it is hilarious on the surface this one on paper would underwhelm me but every time i watch it i am reminded it's one of my favorite episodes of the series because it does some world building, I think that we don't usually get. They go from a starbase to a ship and to a courtroom. The whole procedural of the court case, but also Spock's caper of breaking Pike out of his—I uh, said prison at the start. It's a prison of the mind, isn't it? It is. Yes, he's being cared for rather intensely <laughs> by by Starfleet officers in very short skirts. Oh, the hell of it all. But this idea that Spock is more loyal to this character that we've never seen before than to his crewmates on the Enterprise is a delectable mystery. And it's really interesting because this is the first time
1: I've actually seen it. I watched The Cage when they Mm. first released it on VHS, Kevin, and I was always fascinated by it, the sort of what could have been. And so I'm always a sucker for the underdog franchises. So my favorite era of the Disney franchise is the dark ages like the 70s and the early 80s when Ron Miller's in charge and they do stuff like Something Wicked This Way Comes or Mm. The Black Hole or Watcher in the Woods all these failed movies but it's so dark and watching the original Cage I went oh what could have been with Pike and number one and so that's why I think I've into strange new worlds so much is that i'm finally getting to see these characters that i saw when i was in high school
0: i went oh if only now it's happening yes so it's interesting that this episode that shares so much in common with this prominent episode of strange new worlds is also deeply linked to the series itself it's where those characters originate it's where they appeared on tv for the first time yeah and it's also the payoff for the final moments of *A Quality of Mercy*, where Spock, almost with so few words, understands what Pike has been through and the debt of gratitude that that he owes to Pike. It's
1: incredible and- work from Ethan Peck, who just—I'm yeah. I'm, going to say this—Leonard Nimoy is a giant and an incredible presence in *Star Trek*, and I never really got into Zachary Quinto. I never really got Quinto's performance everyone went oh but he Mm. looks so much like him but then when he the performance was there going but he isn't spock he never felt spock for me but as soon as ethan peck came along even in discovery and especially now in the series i've gone this is spock this is a perfect tribute and a good companion to nimoy's iconic version and that moment absolutely he's a wonderful actor and that moment of nuance and going that's the type of stuff nimoy did so well that that show of emotion through subtlety, as opposed to, oh, I think Spock's angry. Oh, oh, I think Zachary Quinto's having a bit of a hissy fit. But that moment was a beautiful moment. And it does connect directly to Menagerie of why Spock is willing to do well, yeah. risk everything, risk death, risk his career and his life for this man. And this mm. is the thing, there's so much weight in Strange New Worlds about, about Pike and sharing it with Spock and Una about, this is my life. This is what mm. happens to me. Mm. But they don't know that...
0: They don't know that he gets a happily ever after at the end. And you get to hang out with
1: Melissa George. Vina, yeah. Aussie's own Melissa George was Vina in the Discovery episode when he had the visions in the cage. Yeah, so it was interesting to finally watch, because I'd seen the cage, but I hadn't seen the menagerie. So to see what, how they structure showing the cage within it especially that final shot of when she goes i'm returned to my beautiful form yeah
0: they replay the moment as a completely different scene yeah and he goes and
1: more and she just smiles he goes yeah she could smile before and because they didn't want to show from the original when Uh she grabs onto the imaginary christopher pike they wanted to use that as the real imaginary that's
0: right it's so clever
1: yes and the look on shatner's face at the end he looks It's a beautiful moment and i don't care what people say about all the hokey acting in the 60s there's some beautiful stuff in there and it doesn't care what era it is hit the look on his face when he's just looking at a blank screen of him finally seeing this character this person christopher pike get the happy ending he deserves and this nice knowing smile is is a beautiful bit of acting from shat
0: we've talked about two three if you count menagerie as two parts we've talked about three great episodes of star trek in the first season of that series it's amazing what i've been so going
1: quickly. back and watching a lot more thanks to this podcast and thanks mm. to your encouragement and season one man it is like so much killer not much filler and like in an episode like there's the menagerie then there's another episode and then you're in balance of terror it's just yeah wall to wall classic stuff so it's not so much of an incorporation that episode. It's more of a yeah, just sit back and watch.
0: Yeah. Well, then let's do a true incorporation mm. with trials and tribulations. I have been bringing this up a lot, and so it's I, been on our mind. I like I like in your thought.
1: Let's go. Let's just get out of the way, okay, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> You've been talking about it every week. Let's talk about it in full. Then get it out of your system, and we they've, there's so much more for us, us to watch. us the excuse. Yes.
0: Trials and Tribulations. I hadn't seen it in a while. I rewatched it before this, so I'm all freshened up. It is the episode where they revisit The Trouble with Tribbles, the classic comedy, from maybe the only comedy from the original series, where Deep Space Station K7 suffers an infestation of... Tribbles, which apart from nearly overtaking that starbase, are responsible for unmasking a hidden Klingon agent in their myths.
1: That's right. And for the thirtieth anniversary of right. Star Trek, D Space Nine decided to do a tribute where they go back in time. That's right. Cisco and Dax and Odo and Worf and Bashir and O'Brien all travel back in time to find a time-traveling bandit who threatens to blow up the space station. And it's the same actor they get for D Space Nine. Arnett Darwin is the character. Well, that's easy yeah. for you to say.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was cutting edge at the time. And it's... It was amazing. They must have spent a entire season's worth of their visual effects budget on this one episode.
1: and it, And it shows. The proof is in the pudding. I mean, we will never get... Fully restored D Space Nine or enhancement of the CGI effects, which fans are crying out for, but yeah. it's just
0: not going to happen. But this one still holds up, whether you watch it streamer or on the DVD. I think this episode might be one of the reasons we never get an HD DS Nine because to do to redo oh. this in HD would be next to impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: an incredible episode. It's an incredible feat in special effects, and it is that really. Well, I think you mentioned it's like the Back to the Future Two. Yes, episode. that's right. Yeah, looking for at those who ep-
0: haven't seen it, our crew of uh, Deep Space Nine on the Defiant, which can cloak conveniently for this episode. <laughs> that's right. They they share scenes with the original cast. Of TOS. So they replay scenes of the original Trouble with Tribbles with Deep Space Nine characters in the background, in the foreground, even interacting with characters from the original episode in the yeah. most clever split screens you have ever seen in your so life. So beautiful.
1: You get to see Kirk uh, getting angry
0: at <laughs> O'Brien and Bishop who got into a barroom brawl with Scotty. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. I want to start with the way they get into the past which is to use the orb of time. That's right. So the prophets of the wormhole famously have these orbs that they gift to the Bajoran people, and each one has a different magical power. This one lets you do time stuff. Exactly. And if you get it all in a gauntlet, you can control... Oh, no, that's a... (laughs) That's a different That's uh, a different thing, yeah, yeah but can uh, compare that to the klingon time crystals that were used in strange new worlds this week as soon as that came out i groaned i was like oh are we seriously going back to the klingon time monks i was hoping we could we could set that aside and pretend it never happened they're monks kevin in time they're angry klingon monks in time if you just touch the crystal it'll send you forward so yeah that's the thing this whole idea that it it will send you forward not into a vision of your future but into an interactive simulation of your future in which you can tell spock i am here from the past and Spock will give you a mind meld to confirm this. Like, it's that interactive.
1: lot of levels. lot of levels.
0: At the end, in the very last scene, somehow old Pike has traveled with him into this vision because Pike is in his future ready room. I don't get it at all. Whereas at least the orb of time, they get it out of the way quickly. They're like, it's an orb of time. It does time. Oh, look, we're in the past. That's all you need that's to know. That's all you need like, to know, boys. <laughs> that's it. They don't even bother with the return to the future at the end. It's just like we we did it. It's yeah.
1: Fine. Okay. We've got the agents from the Time Disruption Bureau. I guess there.
0: I want to say if you're gonna break the rules, do it quickly and don't draw too much attention to it. No exactly. loving shots of a green crystal in a case, and you're like, who made that case? <laughs> uh, like, wonder what happens to their seven-year future plan. <laughs> yeah. What, what it... are they up to? I think they gilded the lily a bit too much in Strange (laughs) New Worlds. And in DS9, they knew how to get it out of the way quickly and not make it a distraction.
1: And it's fun. You get to see the cast in your original Star Trek uniforms. They cosplay.
0: They They... cosplay, Rob. Oh, yeah. For the 30th anniversary, the cast of DS9 cosplays as TOS characters. And
1: Cisco has to get a voucher, a token. Go up to his star
0: and get an autograph like we all do at conventions. Yeah, exactly. This to me, I wrote this down because up until this point, I felt like, and this is fifth season DS9. So we were deep into it by Mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. But at least me as a casual viewer at that time, uh, not that casual, let's be (laughs) serious. (laughs) As a viewer at that time. Nice try. (laughs) I like how you tried to cover that. You went, look, as a casual viewer. Oh, really? You want me to believe that? Nice try. As a viewer at the time, I still felt like DS9 was too cool to be fully connected to the rest of Star Trek canon. I felt like they were doing their own thing and they were almost holding themselves at arm's length to the rest of Star Trek history. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, these characters that I thought were too cool for school are dressing up and geeking out about Spock and Kerr and, and, and all and, of this. And talking and about just, why the Klingons look human and
1: they just do the beautiful line. It's a part yeah, of our history we don't talk about. Because, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. My, my favorite moment is right at that one of my, the whole episode is one of my favorites. But at the start, just to set that tone. When they mention James T. Kirk and the two Uh guys from the Bureau do classic Star Trek references to time travel. Oh, that guy, he's broken so many time travel laws. And then you just have Cisco when they say James T. Kirk and he lights up. And you see
0: him, like when he talks about baseball, he goes, the
1: very same.
0: (laughs) And he gets him by the end, he gets one of the agents to go, you know what, I probably would have done the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> and it's great. Like you've got O'Brien with his daggy sixties
1: haircut. That's awesome. You've mm. got Jadzia. That's just O'Brien. Yeah, sheer Bashir. has got the most amazing slick down hair. He's haircut. got it. He looks, he, yeah. it looks very sixties, about 150 years beforehand. Um, <laughs> and yep. Jadzia having a bit of
0: googly eyes at McCoy. McCoy getting some love. She, she does Spock, Google Spock and it then reveals Spock. she has, she's had a, uh, an affair with McCoy. That's right. That's right. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm the, not afraid old... to
0: get around our Dax. She's had many years to do it. Oh, so good on her. that old man is a player. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And Terry Farrell looks great.
1: They all look fantastic. The boy's haircut could be a bit better, but Terry Farrell's 60s hairdo, the updo, yeah. is amazing. Um, My
0: favorite scene in this episode is in the turbo lift. They bump into the uh, attractive crew person in the lift for the second time. And she's like, I'll be in uh, sickbay later for my physical. And she leaves. And Bashir's like, you don't know. I might be destined to meet her, fall in love with her and have children. And I might be my own grandfather for all you know. And O'Brien's like, oh boy, are we ready to be mad. <laughs> that guy is so desperate
1: to get laid. Look, just <laughs> sure let's just go to the hollow suite. Okay. We'll pretend to do a World War II bombing raid. But yeah, it's yeah. just beautifully structured. It's more than just the comedy episode. It's there. Like you said, it's that moment, especially in season five, we're getting into the heart of Dominion mm. War stuff. We're going into some dark territory. And for them to just go, let's get this really cooler than thou crew to just let loose and the, the whole cast, because they're just incredible, really let slip. And that final moment where you have Cisco and Kirk together and they make you wait for it. They go, yeah. you want to see the two of them together? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Of course it's going to happen.
0: Also for the 30th anniversary of Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager was on the air at the time and they did their own homage to the past of Star Trek. This episode, Flashback, Season 3, Episode 2 of Voyager, actually aired before Trials and Tribulations. So we're doing these out of order. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But to, to me, another one of those ones that on paper it's a loving homage, in practice it doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, look, it's just
1: when you bring back an iconic character like Sulu, and especially Mm. when it's his time on Excelsior, you want that to be where the meat and potatoes of the episode is. But this one does like veer more into Tuvok and Janeway's relationship, and they can do that in any way, shape, or form. Like with Trials and Tribulations, they go,
0: let's go there and let's lean into it and let's just embrace it. They get there quick and they spend a lot of time there in Deep Space Nine. In yeah. Voyager. I was looking at the progress bar, and it's not until halfway through the episode that they land in what is the iconic opening scene of Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. And I'm gonna say it also my favorite opening of a Star Trek movie, of perhaps my favorite Star Trek movie of all time. It hey, look! It's oh wow. Wow, that is a big call.
1: You just slipped mm. that under the radar, Kevin Yank. Yeah. Just went, oh, yeah, by the way, one of my favorite Yeah, yeah. You always want to know when you've got a captain on a Federation vessel, how they do certain things. So, yes. of course, Kirk had many opportunities to do a variation of fire. And in Star yep. Trek 6, he does the dramatic one where his hand comes up and he grips it and goes, a fire. But For Sulu, he gets his moment when he sees the waves of Praxis coming towards him and he calls out, "Shoots!"
0: Oh, yes. And I was just going, there you are. That's why he gets the captain's role. It's so great. He's such a great captain. I remember around this time, there was lots of speculation off the back of the movie of would we get the Captain Sulu TV series? Oh, such a missed opportunity. But we get a taste of what it would be here because we get to like peek behind the scenes of. Those very few moments on the Excelsior in the movie, we get to see a bit more of a day in the life on the Excelsior. We get to see Commander Janice Rand doing her thing, being like a competent officer on a starship. It's amazing. And the other guy, Dimitri Mm Voltaine, was to me a very memorable presence in that opening scene on the Excelsior in the movie. Like his. Reports back to the captain are so efficient and logical. He's sitting at that point on the bridge where the famous Vulcan usually sits. Yes. Uh, But we get to see a human with a beard in that role. And I just remember at the time going, yeah, well done, sir. You're filling those shoes nicely. Exactly. And is it, because it has been a while since I've seen it, because Tim Russ does appear, but I'm not sure. Is it in Star Trek 6 or is it in... Um, I don't think we see him in Star Trek 6. He is very conveniently put over in a corner of the bridge that it would be natural not to go to. He's he's in he's Generations. He's yeah, oh yes, yes, he plays another character in Generations. That's right. He so plays right. a human in Generations yeah. with uh, But in this at, at this point in Two career as a cadet. It's his first deep space mission on the Excelsior. Yes. He's naive. He's the one who's quoting regulations to his captain and getting a little uh, smacked down by the first officer for it. Um, and all that stuff is delightful. But where is that that shadowy cadet
1: who has to wake up Sulu? Ah, Christian Slater. Yeah. Where is... Why did, where did he... Yeah, why they couldn't they get him, I why wonder? Why can not they get Christian Slater back to do... <laughs> but in every shot, he'd always be in shadow. Even if he's in like on the deck and
0: it's bright light, he has just got his own shadow that just follows him around everywhere. So like this week's episode of Strange New Worlds, I think the difficulty level was extraordinarily high for what they set out to do here. And not downplaying what Deep Space Nine did by seamlessly editing themselves into an episode of television from the 60s. But here again was a case where this feature film had come out just five years before. That's right it had a feature film budget feature film production values mm-hmm. and here was star trek voyager episode of the week in 4 by 3 trying to insert itself and replay the same events yes and to me things just again the gravitas wasn't there yeah that opening scene of the wave hitting the ship it is entirely scored in voyager with generic voyager dramatic music yes And I went back and watched the movie, that entire scene has no score. It is played out to silence and it feels real because of it. The
1: music of the opening credits is so good. And it's that ominous build up to it. And then it drops out and praxis explodes. And that's it. You have no music. You just have the
0: sound of everything it plays for real. It's, Mm.
1: It's a fantastic opening.
0: But what I did like, I like that Tuvok tells Janeway, Praxis has just exploded. Yeah. And we all as fans know exactly what that means, but we get to look around this bridge, seeing them going about their business. Yes. Unaware of what what is about to hit them. And that is a delicious bit of dramatic irony. Definitely. We get to, to play through. Then the, the moments of the upset of the ship as the wave hits them goes through, and a lot of lines are replayed, but to me the line readings aren't quite there. Mm -hmm. I know those, I feel that opening of Star Trek 6 deep in my soul. And when Captain Sulu says, turn her into the wave in the movie, it feels heroic. And in this, he goes, turn her into the wave. And I'm like, oh, you didn't quite nail it. Yeah. I think you were in a bit of a hurry there. Yeah. It's a difference
1: uh, between having Nicholas Meyer directing you or that's right. not. Yeah. And
0: yeah. ultimately the episode, it does not fully honor the source material because they kind of bail out of the story halfway through. They get to that critical moment for the plot where Voltaine dies on the bridge and they discovered that is the moment Tuvok got infected by this parasite that's causing him a false memory. They extract themselves from the mind meld, they're in the Voyager sick bay and they resolve the issue. And the rest of Star Trek VI happens in a couple of lines of dialogue where Tuvok says, Oh, so we had a significant role in the Kittimer chords that happened after that. And Janeway says, Oh, aren't you nostalgic about that time? And Tuvok says, Vulcans don't feel nostalgia. The end. And it's a bit of a wah wah.
1: It is, yeah. And it, like I said if you're bringing these people back give them the focus they deserve you know on the original series they're doing it for the first time they dedicate two episodes and the entire regular cast sit and watches the unaired pilot in Mm. trials and tribulations you have a perfect balance of what the D space nine characters are doing plus you give that revered focus from a different perspective as opposed to just cutting away from them you actually see the same shots but from the lower decks almost level. But yeah, with this, it it really smacks of, we'll do a little bit of nostalgia. Our main focus is our cast and our show. And it's a disservice. It doesn't take anything away from your Voyager cast if you give that full attention to really capturing and having a bit of a nod to this missed opportunity in uh, Star Trek lore with the Excelsior crew led by Sulu.
0: Yeah, they have flown close to that particular sun once or twice, though. There is some peril. I'm reminded of the Enterprise series finale. Uh, These are the voyages where effectively the the cast of the show that is ending plays second fiddle to Commander Riker and Counselor Troi, who are just watching it as a holodeck simulation. That's right. And so I think I see the opposite side of that coin. Of course. That if Voyager had played this as a retread, like a true revisit of Undiscovered Country, the risk there is that it doesn't feel like a Star Trek Voyager episode. Yeah. So there is a perfect balance. And I think we can agree Deep Space Nine struck it. Got it perfectly. Yeah. Mm. And I think we did a
1: good exploration of revisiting an episode and yes. the success and the failures. So I think... Us revisiting those moments is
0: uh, up there with Trials and Tribulations. Oh, write in if you agree or disagree with Rob's take. Um, that bold statement is demanding some <laughs> s- some
1: retribution.
0: If you do want to write in to us, we have a Twitter account now. You can reach us at subspace.fm. That's fm at the end. And uh, yeah, send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear them. We also have a website, don't we, Kevin? We do have a website, and you may have visited it on your way here, but if you found us some other way, you can visit subspace.fm to find all our old episodes, of which there are now two. If you missed episode zero, I could understand. It's a little sneaky of us. We did an episode zero, but it's a full episode. Go back and watch it if you want more of us. Yeah. Um, What's happening next, Rob? I can't believe we actually have not discussed this. I know Uh, we haven't actually talked about what we're going to do next. We're going into uncharted space here. There is a gap of Star Trek episodes in which we could choose to do something or we can hold fire. What they have told us is that a third season of Lower Decks is coming soon and we can reconvene for episode one of Star Trek Lower Decks season three. Do we hold off until Lower Decks? Or do we do one before then? So like a bit of a, uh,
1: a free for all about whatever topic we want to bring to the table. And I don't know what to do. I've spoken
0: about Trials and Tribulations for the last time. (laughs) I'm out. I, if I had to make a call here and now I would say, let's wait for Lower Deck season three. Let's leave them waiting. Let's leave them in suspense. Yeah. (laughs) Let's yeah. Yeah. Let's leave them wanting more. Okay, dear listener, we've talked about it, and if not before, you will be hearing from us with the premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. I hope it's not too far off. My my gut feel is it's in the next month or so we will see that. So we'll see you then. We may surprise you with something else, so say subscribe to the feed, but otherwise, see you with the return of Boimler and crew. Hit it. <laughs>